0: All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, please get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. But if you forgot a Bible, didn't bring a Bible, get your hand up, grab one of these, open up a copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 25. And if you're just joining with us this morning, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. In a series we're calling Freedom. And the, this church in Galatia, they had found freedom. They, they had discovered the, the truth that, that they can be transformed from darkness to light, from death to life, from bondage to freedom. And the, the, here they were, they were set free. Now how were they set free? They weren't set free because they bought into some new religious idea. They weren't set free because they cleaned their lives up and got things straightened out. They went to church more regularly. They started to give more and serve more. No, they were set free because of the gospel. The gospel that says this, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and that we are made right through Christ, through his perfect life lived that we couldn't live. And then through his death that we should have died. And he stood in our place to take the full justice and wrath of God, our father, and then rose again, defeating sin and death and Satan and ourselves, so that we could be set free. And this church responds to this truth and they're set free. And then quickly they begin to drift from that truth They began to believe that Jesus was great to get things started, but you know what? Now that we're kind of in the family of God, now that we've been invited to the party, now that we've stepped up to the plate, if we want to hit a home run, we better add a lot of stuff to this. Kind of like, Jesus, thanks for starting. I'm gonna take it from here. I think I can figure this out on my own now. And they started even pressing on other people. Hey, if you even want to find freedom, Jesus isn't enough. Take Jesus for sure, but you have to have all this other stuff too, all this other religion, and Paul writes this letter to them, and this letter was not written and put in a Hallmark card, all right? It was a pretty uh, fired up letter. If it was a Facebook post, it would be all caps. Paul is upset about something. He's upset because they've got the gospel wrong. And so he begins to lay out the truth of what our freedom in Christ looks like, but here's the thing. We can believe the truth Of the gospel. We we can come to grips mentally, theologically, doctrinally with this idea of I've been set free because of Christ, but here's my question for you this morning Are you experiencing that freedom? Are you living in freedom? Do, Do you daily walk in this freedom? that we claim we have in Christ, this freedom of the love of God through Christ. You see, because for this freedom to change us, we need to move beyond just the philosophical idea of it, just the, the doctrinal truth of it, but are you actually living like somebody who's free? I mean, this, this morning, can you look back over your last week and, and would it be defined more by burden or by freedom? <coughs> This morning, as we jump into the Word, here's our first point if you're taking notes. I am free in Christ. I am free in Christ. Paul writes in verse 25 of chapter 3, he says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Paul's talking about our identity here. He's saying, hey, here's who you are. And and he gives this Christian label. He says, hey, you're no longer under the law, this guardian that was keeping you for a little while. No, you're now in Christ. And he gives this label. He says, you are sons of God. And we're going to unpack that. I mean, this is the whole theme of this sermon this morning, the whole focus of it. But, but I want us to notice something first before we jump into the huge implications of being called sons of God. First of all, you got to notice something. We're not, he's not saying that everybody is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. God is not a universal father. That whole idea of, oh, you know what? We're all children of God. Yeah, it's not True. Romans 5 says that, that before Christ comes, and before you're in Christ, Romans 5 says you're an enemy of God. Until we put our faith in Christ, in that moment, in that moment you go from being enemies to being children, this, this brand new relationship you now have with God the Father. He goes on in verse 27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor, nor, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. You see, over and over again, Paul's using the same phrase, saying, you are in Christ. You've put on Christ. You are Christ. You belong to Christ. And it's so important for us to get this that as Christians, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you now are in Christ. You've been united with Christ. In fact, you're united with other believers, one in Christ, as you belong to Christ. And it's so important for us to get this because this settles our quest for identity. Those questions you have of, of who am I and, and what do I think about myself and how do I live and act out in my life and what does God think about me? If, if we don't get a hold of, if we don't grab a hold of the truth of our identity in Christ, our position in Christ because of the gospel, we start to believe that salvation, listen, if you don't know Christ, you start to look for salvation in everything else. I'm going to look deep inside myself. I'm going to look all around myself and see maybe this will provide hope and meaning in life. And listen, if you're a follower of Christ, if we forget this, if we don't get a handle on our identity in Christ, you begin to believe that your happiness and your blessing and God's favor and your freedom comes from things outside of you, things you do rather than who you are in Christ. It puts us striving so much for looking for other ways to be whole. And listen, we can never work hard enough to do what we already have in Christ Jesus. When we forget that, we we get caught up in this unwinnable race, this this place where I just gotta do more, I gotta strive more, I gotta be better, perform more. God's not gonna bless me. I'm not gonna find true joy and freedom. Why? Because I'm a doughhead. Listen, we're all doughheads, right? <clears throat> More than we care to admit, but a little honesty in church. Every one of us is, except for this, that what also is true about us is that you, if you have Christ, you are a child of God in Christ. You are united with Christ. You belong to Christ, so when we get that issue of, of freedom and blessing in me, once we get that settled, then we understand that okay, it's no longer dependent on me. All my hopes and dreams and freedom is in Christ. And if, if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, we're gonna seek our identity in lesser things, which is gonna lead us to idolatry, which which leads to brokenness, broken lives, broken hearts, broken relationships. And we'll seek our identity in so many things. And, and Paul lays out kind of these sweeping generalities of, in his culture and our culture as well. Here are ways people look to find identity. And he goes, listen, those things don't matter for your identity. It's not your race. It's not your social status. It's not your gender. And he's, he's not saying, listen, those differences aren't there. He goes, no, the differences are there, but they're not the root of who you are. They're not your foundation. Those, those horizontal things make us different. But what we do is we take horizontal differences and we stand them up vertically and all of a sudden, we try to make these things our standards for life. And and I gotta reach that standard in order to feel good, in order to have meaning, in order to have identity. I mean, think about these things that we do it with. We do it with education. Well, it's just horizontal differences. Hey, that person's smarter than I am, That person's not quite as smart as I'm. I've got better education, less education. And we take these horizontal things. We all of a sudden lift them up vertically, like, I, I'm not going to feel better until I reach that difference. We do it with our job. We, we put our identity in our work. A horizontal difference. I only work in this job and this role. That person has a better job, something that pays more, is, is more prestigious. Man. And then we take it and we make it vertical. And also, man, I've got to reach that if I'm going to feel like I have any purpose and meaning and hope in my life. We, we do it with how we look. Horizontal differences that our culture takes. And every generation changes it so you can't even keep up and says, hey, this horizontal difference, lift that up as a standard. And, and we begin to look, oh, man, I'm not as thin as that person. I'm not as muscular as that person. I don't look like that person. And we live, and all of a sudden, man, I don't have any meaning and hope and purpose. We do with so many things. We do, as parents, we, you, you hear this with schooling. Well, I homeschool, I Christian school, I public school. Horizontal differences we take and we make vertical. Our economic status I don't have as much money as this person has more money, this person has less. The vehicle we drive, the clothes we wear even. I mean, how much of our identity is wrapped up in what we wear? And Paul here says, says put on Christ. Let that, let that be your identity. Put on Christ. And I love that idea of putting on Christ-like clothing because clothing really, it does some things. It, it identifies us with certain groups. The way you dress identifies, it really does. Think about it, if you're a a hip young dude right now, what, you're gonna wear a deep V-neck, try to grow a beard, and wear your sister's jeans, right? And that's... (laughs) Sorry, that's your choice if you wanna be hip. And everybody knows that that's who you are, right? You see the guy with the shaved head and the comb over longer hair. You know, that's a hip, young dude, right? And you're like, hey, Pastor Kai, haven't you tried that haircut? Listen, it's also 44-year-olds trying to cling desperately to their youth, all right? That's another group. Okay, give me a couple years. I'll wear sports socks with my sandals and complain about the government. That's coming. All right. We, we identify people with clothing, right? You see somebody wearing a sports team. You go, oh, they're identifying with that team. Our our clothes identify us. And and these horizontal differences, even of clothing. Paul says, don't make that how you identify. Don't don't set that up as your standard. Put on Christ. Christ is your identity. He's the most important thing about you now. Here's something else about our clothing, though. we, We use it to cover up our flaws, don't we? Right? (laughs) Amen. <laughs> Someone says, <laughs> yes. And people without flaws, they wear less clothing, right? They're like I don't need to cover up anything, right? right? But we were to cover up. it. You ever have those dreams? Maybe you still do. I remember as a kid, having where you'd have the dream, you show up in school and you don't have clothes on. Anybody have those dreams? Okay, yeah, right? It's just these horrible, like, ah, why did I forget that? And so fearful, you want to put clothes on. Listen, put Christ on every day. Know that he fully covers you. All your shame, all your guilt, all your fear, it's covered in Christ. And what what begins to happen is you put on Christ, you begin to look more and more like Christ. You, You put on Christ, you begin to become more patient, more loving, more generous, more forgiving more victorious over sin that used to keep you in bondage. Why? Because you put on Christ. You're no longer defined by your past failures. You've been set free because you now have Christ. You're in Christ. I I love that picture that Paul uses. Your identity now is in Christ. Picture that. Picture yourself. It's, It's completely in Christ, surrounded by Christ, yourself. So everything about you, Fully immersed in Christ. There is no self apart from Christ. But I think where we get in trouble is most Christians kind of view it in a different way. In fact, we even use the language, I invited Jesus into my heart. Well, how kind of you to do that. Nice to give him a space, right? And and instead of self with Christ, being in Christ, we don't have it the other way around where here is myself and Christ is in me and, and that's it. He's got a little piece of me. He's kind of got my heart. And Listen, self needs to be defined by Christ, not the other way around. Where my identity, who I am, the the determining factor of what I do, who I am, how I'm doing, how I think other people view me, listen, it's in Christ. This idea of, of Christ just having a part of me, that's not Christianity. No, Christ is all. Whoever you are is formed and shaped and informed by Jesus. And Paul's laying out for us the key identity that he wants us to have as we think about being in Christ. And we see it all through scripture. It's this, that you were once an orphan. Each one of us had this this life-altering label on us, orphan. Now, when we think orphan, we, we think maybe, maybe kids stuck in the system who, who don't have, have parents. We, we think about uh, parents going over to a foreign country and uh, adopting a child. But what I'm talking about right now is it's similar to that, but it's spiritual orphans. And one of the primary images that Jesus wanted to show as he was on earth, as he was preaching, walking around, one of the, the primary images of who God was that he wanted to show us was that God was a father, a father to an orphaned world. God was not just an angry judge. He was, he was not a ruling taskmaster, but he's this loving father who loves his kids. So we are free in Christ. Secondly, this morning, if you're taking notes, I'm free as a child of God. In Christ, that, that's what my new identity is. <clears throat> Look at verse 29. It says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise goes on, chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. <clears throat> now, you might notice there that it says that we're, I gotta get some water here. Is that all right? I'm gonna die up here. You're all thinking that for a long time, aren't you? Just get some water, man. <clears throat> You'll notice here he keeps talking, that's better. <clears throat> he talks about being sons. And Now, now if, you, if you're a lady here this morning, that, that's not Paul being sexist, you're like, wait a minute, he's being sexist. Well, what about daughters of God? Why, why just sons? Oh man, what's that about? Here, here's something really cool about him using that in this culture. What Paul was saying here, that you are a son of God, even to the ladies in the church, was hugely liberating for a woman, why? Because in this culture, a daughter got nothing in the inheritance. A daughter had no legal standing. If you had sons and daughters, like in our culture, you kind of divide the inheritance up, right? No, in, in Paul's culture, where he's writing here, the oldest son would get 50%. The rest would be divided up amongst the other sons, and daughters wouldn't get anything. And Paul's saying this, hey, listen, in Christ, you are all sons, In Christ, you are all full heirs of the Father in heaven. And and here's the thing, in that culture, what would happen if you didn't have a son, you would adopt a son to be your heir. Listen, God already had a son. He had Jesus Christ, perfect. And yet he said, no, I still want to choose you. I mean, what what an amazing picture of God's grace. Grace. That he chose you as an heir, not because he didn't have an heir, not because he needed an heir, but because he loved you and wanted you. And these verses say, before Christ came, we were enslaved. We weren't true heirs. We, we were enslaved to the law. We were enslaved to what the world offers. He uses these words, the elementary things he says in verse 3 the horizontal things of the world, and and yet how often do we take the things of the world, the elementary things, and we make them ultimate things? These things that have no eternal value, yet we become enslaved to them. But I love verse four, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is when the fullness of time had come. God, God set forth this plan and when the, at the perfect moment in history. God sends Jesus. And you got to think about the, the timing of God's plan. <clears throat> think of it this way. When Malachi ends, the Old Testament ends, the last prophet speaks. There's 400 years of silence before John the Baptist comes on the scene and says of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. So, so 400 years of silence. Now, what, what was God doing in that silence? What, what was he up to? You know, I'm just thinking this right now, that, that, that here, man, I'm just guessing there's some of you here, you're, you ask the same question about your own life. God, you seem quiet right now. You seem so silent. What are you up to? And yet we we can see from from what God was up to here between the Old Testament and the New Testament, maybe it'll speak to where we are if we feel God is silent. Because here's what's going on. God was preparing the world for the perfect arrival of the gospel. Alexander the Great comes on the scene. He, he conquers the known world, and what's he do? Everybody speaks the same language because of him, and, and Greek goes throughout the whole world, so everybody's speaking Greek now. Then the Romans come into power. God, turning the wheels of history. The Romans come into power, and what do they do? They're a, a, a military force that brings peace to the known world because of their might. No more wars going on. No, nobody fighting with each other. They build roads throughout the known world. So, so what do we have now? We've got a world now set up where one language is being spoken, where, where it's safe to travel and no fear of war. And that's where the gospel is brought into the world. That's where the, the early church begins to be launched. Listen, God was preparing for the perfect time at the right moment, and and it, it may seem right now like God's silent in your life. Well, I would say it this way. Maybe it's a little bit like the curtains have closed on act one, and it's not like nothing's happening behind the curtain. God's at work getting the next scene ready. Whatever it is you're in right now, God's at work. He's not quiet. He wasn't quiet for those 400 years. He was at work for that perfect time. And at that moment, he sends his perfect son, born of woman, fully man. He had to be fully man to to be a proper sacrifice with us and and fully God. He had to be fully God to redeem you and I. And all of that saves us, redeems us, justifies us. But here's what's incredible. Verse five, look at it again. To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. I love that. It says to redeem those who are under the law. We have been set free, redeemed, justified. But it's not a period there. There's a comma. Why have we been justified? So that we've been re- redeemed. We've been made new. We've been transformed. Our sins have been forgiven, but there's a deeper purpose for God's rescue mission. God went deeper than even redemption to what? To adoption. You've been redeemed so that you might receive adoption as sons. Listen, if this whole sermon, if we got here this morning and we sang about justification and we preached and talked about being justified, about our our slate being wiped clean, we would leave here singing and shouting for joy if that was all we talked about. And yet God doesn't stop there. God doesn't stop and say, hey, hey, your slate has been wiped clean. And forget about just being wiped clean. Don't, don't even bother trying to refill it with all your good works. The whole slate was nailed to the cross. You are set free, but that's not it. You aren't just justified. You don't just have Christ's righteousness. You're, you're not just sliding into heaven, kind of like you just kind of sneak in. And Peter's like, hey, how did you get here? God, we're letting this one in. All right, come on in. No, no, but you've been completely changed. And then when God sees you, he now sees Christ righteousness. But listen, it's so mind-blowing. God went further than that. He didn't just set us free. He adopted us as his children. I mean, J.I. Packer says it this way, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved by God the Father is even greater I mean, to be right, to have no fear in life or death, to have all your sin, past, present, and future sin covered, is a great thing. It is so great to be free. But Packer says, you know what, there's even something deeper than that, something greater than justification. Justification then leads us to adoption. Do you live in that greater I mean, do the words closeness and and affection and and generosity and and love, does that define your relationship with God? I mean, that's living in freedom. That's moving to the greater. I mean, uh, have you been convinced of your adoption? If we aren't, we begin to look everywhere else for our identity. We we look within ourselves, which is a horrible place to look. Don't let everybody tell you, just look deep inside. You're just going to find sin there. It's a bad place to look. Oh, well, just look around and and see what else you can see up there. No, we don't want to look around for things to fill us up. No, if we don't feel the reality of your closeness with God, if you don't feel the affection of your adoption with God, don't look within, don't look around, look up. See the cross of Christ, see the proof of God's love for you. We were orphans and now we're in the family. When I was in fifth grade, my my parents actually adopted my sister, Sarah. Um, She she was born in Ojibwe Reserve in in Manitoba. Uh, Nobody knew who her father was. Her mom was was just completely enveloped and trapped in addictions. By the time my parents adopted my sister, uh, she was age two. By that time, she'd already been in dozens of foster care homes. And here's the thing, my my parents could have biologically, they could have had more kids. My mom said, but I had three sons, I didn't want to risk it and have another fourth, so I'm going for a daughter, all right? (laughs) But here's the thing, it it was not a biological decision, it was a theological decision for her and my dad. Why? Because there's this amazing picture of salvation that's seen in adoption. I mean, I love that our church has so many adoptive parents. There is such a picture of, of, of what the gospel is in that. I mean, do you, do you see it when you, when you think of, of physical adoption? Or are you seeing the beauty of the gospel? I mean, think of the similarities. God planned our adoption. Parents don't stumble into adoption. You, you, you're reading books. You're praying. You're looking at your finances. You're, you're taking courses. You're trying to figure out. It. It's Listen, it's not by accident that you were chosen to be part of God's family. But God, by his, by his sovereign grace, chose you to love you with this everlasting love. It's God's plan from the beginning to adopt you. I think so often we, we get in our minds a theological idea of, yeah, I get that God loves me, but I'm not sure he likes me. We have this this picture in mind as though God was looking down on our life, and he's going, man, what a terrible train wreck that person is, and then you started to pray some prayer of salvation, God's like, oh, no, don't, oh, okay, you said the prayer, you're in. You know what, come on up in heaven, but you know what, just stay out of my way, because I don't really want to be, a listen, that's not Adoption. His love for you is not based on what you've done or haven't done. His love for you is rooted in Jesus. And so what that does is this idea of adoption rescues us from this spiritual narcissism where we're always looking within ourselves. Am I doing this right? Am I doing something wrong? I mean, stop looking everywhere else. Let's just look to Jesus. Let's see Jesus. Let's allow the spirit of truth point us to truth, which is Jesus Christ, that you are a son and daughter of the living God through Christ you're set free. Adoption's planned. Here's something else that's about adoption that fits. Adoption is costly. There are courses to take. It costs money to do. You need to reorient your whole life. Our family completely changed that day my sister came home. Everything changed. It's costly. Listen, Jesus paid the ultimate price. It cost him everything for you to become part of his family. Adoption is costly. Adoption rescues. And so many kids are rescued from tough situations. They've, they've been rescued from these tough places to be brought into a loving family. Listen, you've been rescued from sin and death and hopelessness and brought into the family of God. Adoption also involves a legal change. And I love, we we were invited by one of our church families to go to the the courtroom when they actually legally receive their kids, where, where the judge, the gavel goes down, and at that moment, that gavel hits. These kids are now legally your kids. Something changes in that moment. One moment, not in a family. The next moment, you are. And listen, Christian, you have been declared, the gavel has dropped. You've been declared a child, an heir of God. And it it takes you from being this this abandoned, anonymous, fearful orphan to being a child of God. In fact, look at verse seven. It says, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul Paul uses the same language in Romans 8.15 where he says that you haven't received a spirit of fear, but this spirit, uh, not of a slave, a fearful slave, but spirit of a son. So let me ask you this this morning. What do you fear? I remember my sister coming to our house and, and so full of fears. with my parents would leave for just a short time, she would thought, that's it, I've been abandoned again. She would hide food, thinking, I'm not gonna get food, so I better hide this stuff. Just living in constant fear, trying to figure it out. Is this for real? My question for you this morning is, what do you fear? Where you haven't realized your adoption yet. Where do we go with those fears? Listen, I I am fearful that I don't know if I can lead Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound to where God wants to take us. So what do I do with that fear? Listen, I wake up every morning and say, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need your spirit in me. I need you to work through me, Father. Dad, would you do the work that I can't do? You've got to show up, and I'm th- Lord, if you've part of the Red Sea, you can reach Muskoka and preach down with the gospel. You can heal broken relationships in our church and in our community. You, you can take care of our finances. Uh, just to have the prayer of knowing you're adopted, be able to say, "Dad, I know you can take care of this." Think about it. If you're a child of God, let me tell you who your father is. He's the one who flung the Milky Way into the orbit with just a word. He, he's the one who, who, who conquered sin and death through Christ. He's the sovereign king of the universe. There's not an atom floating freely in this room that God's hand does not control. So whatever you're fearful of this morning, maybe it's I'm not, I'm not pretty enough, good looking enough. Maybe it's, I, I don't know if I'll ever overcome this sin. Maybe it's that wayward son and daughter. you will, will they ever return? Maybe it's a marriage that's in a tough place. Whatever that fear is, whatever your fear of, listen, listen, you know who your father is. You don't need to be afraid. And when fear knocks on your door, you can say, dad, dad, can you answer the door? Can you take care of that? And listen, he's got it. Don't look towards anything else. Listen, everything else in our life can be taken away from us. Everything. Everything else we try to put our hope in, our identity in, all of it can be removed except this. You are a beloved son or daughter of the king. You are a beloved son or daughter of the king. Think about Pastor Kai. What, why don't I experience this reality? Why do I find it so hard to live that way? How do, I, how do I move it from being a truth I hear you preach to something that I can live? Here's our last point this morning quickly. I experience this freedom through the Spirit. I experience this freedom through the Spirit. I mean, how do you live this out? Paul says it right in verse six. Just look at what he says. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. That word there, Abba, it's like Papa or Daddy. It's this, this picture of a father reaching down to a child and pulling him or her into his arms. It's a relational word. And because of the cross, we get all of Christ's privileges. Think about it. Jesus was the only one before the cross who could call God his father, who could look at the creator of the universe and go, hey, Dad, and now through Christ, you can too. He's your father. I I think about this. I I think about how much I love my own kids. I mean, coming home from work, I literally get kind of goofy inside, just anticipating coming to the door because I know better than a lab or a retriever, my kids will freak out when I come home, all right? And dad, dad's home, right? And they run up, and they know that as they run towards me, that I'll always love them that I'll hug them, that I'll be so excited to see them. Even if they were complete nut bar all day, making their mom crazy, they're no, they don't, at that time, as they run to me, they're gonna get a hug from me. Now, if you were to ask my kids, hey, 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 let me just ask them, is your dad a perfect dad? Like, they're gonna be quick to let you know, no, 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 my dad's a doughhead too. Like, he, he completely messed up a lot. I fail at fatherhood a lot. I get upset, I get selfish, I get lazy. I don't always follow through on my promises to my kids. But listen, if a broken messed up sinner like myself can love my kids as much as I do. Imagine what a perfect, glorious, heavenly Father can love like. He says in verse six that that God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit is in us crying, Abba, Father. It's it's the Spirit's work to take this doctrinal truth and, and apply it to your life so that you can fully walk in it, so that you can experience your adoption. And maybe this morning you're here going, listen, listen. I, I've never actually experienced what it's like to have a good father. I was never able to say, daddy. I couldn't cry out, daddy, to someone who loved me. Listen, don't allow the pain of your past to destroy that joy that you can experience today knowing God as your father. I mean, Let, let the Holy Spirit take you into a new territory you've never experienced before this place where you're not ruled by your past any longer, but, but, but that you experience God, and he calls of I'm God to the fatherless. And let the Spirit take you into that experience. And maybe for you, it would be for the very first time to experience what it's like to have a loving father. Maybe for you, you had a dad who, who put so much standards on you, you could never live up to your father's standards. Listen, your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. God loves you like he loves his son, Jesus. Perfectly, Completely. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That he's crying out. That word there, cry out, it's, it's this, this loud, passionate cry. It's not like he's just saying, Abba, Father. It's this crying out. It's, it's like what a child would cry out to their father when they're in need. But we can become deaf to the cry, can't we? The Galatian church got became deaf to because they were buying into legalism. I gotta do all these things. We, we can become deaf to this cry because of sin that we keep going to. We can become deaf to this cry because we ignore the spirit. We can we become deaf as we search for meaning and identity and all these other things. But listen, there's a real cry in your heart. If you know Christ this morning, the spirit is crying in your heart to lead you to cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, I mean, can we, how about this? Can we be done with all the lame worship and the lame prayer that does not have this connection of you're actually talking to your heavenly Father? I mean, shouldn't we experience our God the way my kids experience me running up to me? Shouldn't we experience that? Shouldn't we have that kind of confidence to be able to run to the Lord in worship and in prayer and to cry out, Abba, Father. as the worst team comes up and as we finish off this morning, listen, Christ, through the cross, as you place your faith in him, he changes your position before God. You move from becoming an orphan to a child of God. And through that, through the cross, legally you become God's children. You get a new status, a new identity, but it's through the spirit that you become to experience this. Romans 5.5 5 puts it this way, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I heard one person say it this way, the spirit's job is to take doctrinal truths and make them alive in our hearts. It's it's, we dig in, we pray, we study, we we worshipfully look into God's word and the spirit takes the truths and and begins to make them thrilling and melting and disturbing and, and healing and shining out into our lives. Now, how does it happen with so many other voices crying out into our hearts? Which cry are you hearing most clearly this morning? Listen to the spirit's cry. You're a child of God. How does that happen? G- Jesus says in Luke 11, he says, listen, your father's a good father. If you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. You ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion, right? He's, he's trying to set this idea that God is a good dad. And what he says at the end of that, that story, he says, listen, so ask God and he will give you. Give you what? It says there, he'll give you the spirit it's just ask for what you need, and what you need to ask for is ask for the Holy Spirit. That, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. I mean, think about how differently you live when you recognize that, when you realize that in you this Spirit that conquered death and sin is in you. I mean, how would everything else around you look? Well, wouldn't your sin seem so much smaller? Wouldn't the brokenness you're trying to work through wouldn't the, the struggles you might be having in life or marriage or relationship, wouldn't the sin you're battling all of a sudden come into perspective? Wouldn't the fear you have of living out your faith for Christ change? So what do we do? We we call out like a child. Jesus said, ask your dad, he'll give you. Call out like a child. How does a child call out? A child calls out knowing their desperate need, knowing that I can't get this unless I ask for it. And a child calls out knowing that their father is going to give them this. So how do you call out for the spirit this morning? First is that you do this. First thing we do, and I'm gonna just call us to this is our response this morning, that we would repent of our pride. That pride that stops us from being so desperate for what we need, that we need the spirit in us. That pride that that has us not asking for the spirit any longer. Searching other places. Listen this morning, listen. I love our worship. I love Eric leading us in worship, but he can't change your heart. He can't give you a heart of worship. Only the spirit can do that. Listen, I'm going to preach the gospel every Sunday. I get up to preach, but listen, I can't change your heart. Only the Spirit can do that. We've got great godly men and women who would love to to come alongside you if if there's stuff that's broken and and to walk with you and counseling and discipleship, but they can't change your heart. Small group can't change your heart. Listen, the only thing that can change our heart is the Spirit of God. Are you desperate for that change? Do you recognize that that's the only place? And Jesus call out for it then. Call out for the Spirit of God. So maybe for you this morning, what you need to do is repent of pride. Lord, I haven't called out. I've looked everywhere else. Here's the second thing we can do this morning. Not only is it our pride that stops the Spirit from crying out, Abba Father, stops us from experiencing this adoption, but it's this unbelief where we don't trust that God's a loving Father. Maybe for you it's not pride. You go, no, man, I am desperate. I need something in my life, but I just don't know if God will deliver. Listen, this morning we need to repent of our unbelief and trust that God is a good Father who loves to give good gifts. Maybe this morning that's where you begin. You call out in desperate need and in full faith, Spirit, would you do a work in me? Holy Spirit, would you change my heart? Would you cry, Abba, Father, so I experience the truth of who I am in Christ? And then not just this morning, I'm telling you, daily we do that. Daily we come back to this truth. And press into what does it mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? This morning, if if you've never experienced that, if you don't know Jesus and you're leaning and going, man, I, I, I am an orphan. I, I want to be adopted. I'm going to tell you, make a call this morning. There are going to be gonna be people up here who'd love to pray with you grab somebody. But here's the other thing. If, if you're a follower of Christ and you, you're you here this morning saying, I've never experienced it either. I mean, I know this guy. Like, I know the truth. I, I get the doctrine of adoption. I get that I've been justified, that I'm saved, but I've never walked in the spirit of my adoption. I've never grasped it fully. Listen, would you would you today begin. Maybe you need to come forward and be on your knees. Maybe where you are, you need to do that. Maybe you need to grab the person you're with and say, would you pray with me as we sing, as we celebrate God's amazing grace? Would you pray that I experience it this morning, that I hear the Spirit cry out, Abba, Father, so I can cry out, Abba, Father. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord God, I pray that in this moment, as we we respond in worship, I pray that your spirit, that you would do only what you can do. What what music can't do, what, what, what me talking can't do, but only your spirit could do. Lord God, would you speak so clearly. Father, would you remind every one of us here this morning, if we are in Christ, who we are in Christ. If we'd walk out of here not just with a a mental idea of of understanding a doctrine, but God, would that doctrine change us? And we know that it's only your spirit that can do that. I pray for for your spirit to be at work right now in our hearts. And Lord God, I know that you're gonna answer this prayer because you promised to give us the gift of the spirit. And I know that you can do it because it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and can raise our hearts. And so God, I pray that right now in this room, that hearts would be be, being healed right now. That those who have felt the fatherlessness of their heart and life, God, that right now they would understand and not just know it, but experience it this morning. Father, for relationships that need your spirit at work, God, I pray for the healing to begin this morning, right now. God, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to do a work. I pray that as we worship, as we celebrate your amazing grace for us this morning, that we wouldn't just celebrate it as as an idea, but Lord, that we'd celebrate because we are experienced, because we're walking in, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.